So, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about this week uh, is uh, examples in the Bible when people have been challenged and what happens to them. So there's a lot of examples of, of that. I mean, think about just about every personality, every character in the Bible has experienced some kind of challenge. Uh, and we see how they uh, have dealt with it, how they have overcome it. Like think about, for example, uh, uh, think about uh, Jacob. You know, Jacob and all the ins and outs of his life, how we read at one particular time in his life, he wrestled uh, with the angel of the Lord and it changed his life. He had indeed an encounter with God. Then there's David who had many encounters with God, uh, but all or many of the times anyway, in times of challenge. Think for example of when Saul was chasing uh, a David. That's when he wrote so many of those Psalms that we hang on to uh, in times of distress, how he cried out to God. But the bottom line was is that he trusted God and he was empowered because of that, that trust uh, in the Lord. Even when David sinned, when he was confronted uh, with the sin, what, what did he do? He cried out to God. He confessed his sin. We read in Psalm 51 and Psalm 32 about those confessions, how the challenges of life changed uh, his life uh, and the lives of others, as we said, like uh, Jacob. And you know, in the Brit Harashah scriptures in the New Covenant, Peter is, is one who had a big change, right? He was a disciple of Yeshua. He was very close to Yeshua. Uh, but when Yeshua was arrested, he got scared and he ran away and he hid away and he denied the Lord. And But after the resurrection of the Messiah and the ascension to the right hand of the Father and the pouring out of the Ruach, Peter is a changed man. He had had a particular kind of encounter with God, and now he was a changed man. But there are two others that I wanted to point at and, and read a little bit from the scriptures today. Asaph, who is a priest and who is a, a worship leader, a song leader, and also Habakkuk. Now, if you've been coming to Beth Messiah for a long time, you probably have heard me talk about uh, Asaph and Habakkuk. But, you know, I thought today is, is a time for remembering encouraging things. And I know for some of us, uh, this will be new information. And for others of us, maybe uh, you might remember this from uh, times past. But in Psalm 73, Asaph uh, is uh, opining about uh, the situation. Uh, that he sees uh, in the world uh, uh, around him. And it practically causes him to stumble. So we read the beginning of Psalm 73. I think we might be able to relate uh, a little bit uh, to him. He says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And see what he's saying there at the beginning is that's like, that's conventional wisdom. That's what he knows to be true. Like, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Uh, but, then he says in verse 2, But, as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant, as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. And so, in other words, what he's saying is, you know, I know that God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. 
But what I'm seeing around me is that those who are pure in heart are suffering and that the people who are not pure in heart seem to be doing okay. And so this really troubled him. And he began to wonder. He had a particular presupposition, we might say, about what God is supposed to be and what God is supposed to do. And when he looked around him, he said he saw it wasn't measuring up. You know, what I've known to be true, what I've learned, doesn't seem to be measuring up. And maybe that's some of us today. Maybe we have grown up in a faith tradition where we say, well, you know, God loves us and nothing bad can really happen to us because we're believers in Yeshua. So, you know, uh, what are we, uh, why are we being isolated? Why are we uh, in quarantine or why are we in our homes? Uh, we of all people should should not fear anything, and and uh, we we should do what you know what, what whatever we want to do, but it seems uh, that that isn't the case, and that can shake us sometimes. Maybe that's you, maybe it isn't you, but in any case, difficult times do challenge our faith. Let's face it; it's true for all of us. For me, and it's true, I'm sure, for all of us that difficult times challenge our faith. It gets stretched. Our faith gets stretched. It's kind of like going to the gym and working out, uh, that there's resistance. In order to build muscle, we, there's resistance. And, it, and it, you know, we're stretching our muscles, and it's, it's a little painful. And so this might be a painful experience for you. And maybe you're kind of like Asaph here, kind of just wondering what's going on. Well, he continues along this way. But later on in the psalm, uh, he says this. When he's talking, he he thinks he thinks about what he's saying, all of his complaints. He's complaining and he's complaining and he's complaining. And then he says in verse 15 of Psalm 73, if I had said I would speak this way, like this complaining, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Like there's no way I would ever think that I would talk this way. But then he says in verse 16, when I ponder to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. In other words, I can't believe what I'm thinking and I can't believe what I'm feeling. It's troublesome in my sight. It's troublesome in my sight what I'm even seeing. But then he says this in verse 17. Until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Now here he's talking about evil people. He's talking about people who seem to be prospering, who uh, uh, are disobedient to God, and that's his situation. But what, what we're reading, though, is he gets clarity. He gets light. He can see things for what they really are. He gets truth, you see? Uh, and so he begins to be comforted, and he says again, until I came into the sanctuary of God. Now, we don't know if the sanctuary of God means that he literally walked into the sanctuary of the temple uh, or that he had an experience with God, but somehow he had, he's with God. He has an experience with God and he gets clarity uh, in what he's thinking. And then when you go toward the end of Psalm 73, we see an entirely different attitude uh, in Asaph. Uh, he says, but as for me, verse 28, the last verse of the psalm, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. And so we, the first thing we see is he's afraid 
and he's complaining. And at the end, he's rejoicing and finds comfort in God. What happens in between? He has an experience with God. His faith is stretched. He becomes a changed person. Now, he's not the only one that we see uh, this happening to. There's another great place in the scriptures, one of the smallest uh, little books of uh, prophecy in the Tanakh, and that is Habakkuk. And, you know, Habakkuk is rather interesting. He's a prophet, but he's giving a personal testimony. He's not really, he's prophesying of what will happen, true, but he's really telling his story of his struggle with God and not being able to understand the world around him, not being able to understand the crisis that, that uh, he found himself in. Habakkuk, in the first chapter, and it really is, by the way, a piece of wisdom literature, uh, more so than traditional historical prophecy. But that's another story for another day. But anyway, in the first chapter of Habakkuk, he says, How long, O Lord, will I call for help, and you will not hear? How long, O Lord? I can just see him like with a fist uh, in the air. How long, O Lord, do I have to wait? You know, I know what the Bible says. Uh, I know what your promises are. And, uh, you know, I have a good working knowledge of the scriptures. But how long, O Lord, until you're going to do something? Right? Maybe that's you today, this morning. Maybe that's me. Maybe you're cooped up at home. Uh, or wherever you may be, maybe you're a little frustrated. Uh, that's understandable. And here we see Habakkuk, the prophet. He cries out to God, how long, O Lord? And there's a lot of Psalms you could turn to uh, that begin that way. How long, O Lord? They're called the imprecatory Psalms, right? Or the lament Psalms. Some of them are laments uh, uh, to God. I know uh, our good friend Henry Goulet taught a great class uh, not too long ago on the lament uh, of Psalms about crying out to God and being honest. That's what Asaph was doing, and that's what Habakkuk is doing right here, being honest uh, with God. Now, it's interesting uh, that uh, he cries out to God, and he complains, and he complains, and he complains. And then God answers him, and he doesn't even like the answer that God gives, and he complains some more. Well, then when we come to the beginning of the second chapter, he says, he reflects, he says, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart, and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. So what he's saying is, I might have stepped over the line in talking to God. I'm a little concerned. I think what he I think that he's going to reprove me. I think he's going to be angry with me. So I'm going to hang on for dear life. And then we read in the second verse, then the Lord answered me and said, record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the man who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. It will certainly come. It will not delay. And so God gives him a vision. He doesn't, Habakkuk doesn't tell us exactly right here what the vision is, but he says, God gave me an answer. And he says something very interesting to me. This is what Habakkuk is saying to, to us, that he told me to wait for it and that I might be waiting for a while for it. 
Uh, but it's going to be on time. But even though it feels like it's tarrying, even though it feels like it's late, I'm going to wait for it because it will not fail. It will surely come. So God gives Habakkuk this great word uh, of encouragement. And then he warns him, sort of warns him or gives him a heads up, we might say, that it might take a while for it to happen. So don't lose heart. <clears throat> well, so how does, ha how does Habakkuk respond? Well, it's very interesting. Uh, right after that, he says, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. But the righteous will live by his faith. The righteous, you, you, this is where this verse comes from. The just shall live by faith. Uh, the righteous shall live by faithfulness. And so what Habakkuk says is like, in the meantime, while I'm waiting, I'm going to walk in covenant love, in covenant obedience. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be a stable follower of Messiah, of God, and I'm going to stick with him. I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to get negative. Uh, I'm not going to be calling people out or this or that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to wait, and I'm going to be an encouragement. And I hope that that's what we do as we wait that we don't panic and that we don't give up hope, whether it's the uh, virus or just whatever's going on, other things uh, happening in our lives. Keep going, keep trusting, keep believing because God indeed never changes. So when we come to the end of Habakkuk, what is his attitude? It is no longer how long, O oh Lord, but you may be uh, uh, familiar uh, with it at the very end of uh, Habakkuk. We have these famous verses. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. And he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. You know, this issue of hinds feet in high places, maybe you're familiar with the book uh, by that title. But what Habakkuk is saying, I can stand on a precarious perch and I'm going to be okay. I can be confident, even though as I look around me, conventional wisdom is telling me don't be confident. You know, be scared. This convention, th this perch could fall, uh, you know, could break and I will fall. But he says, but I'm confident because why? Because he's leaning on the Lord. He's placing his faith, his trust, his understanding uh, on uh, the Lord. And, you know, in the Brit Harashah, uh, we have a similar portion uh, that kind of tells us the same thing. Uh, in the little letter that Rav Shaul, Paul, wrote to the believers at Philippi in Philippians in the fourth chapter. In the fourth chapter, he tells uh, his readers to rejoice. Now, we, we don't have time to understand the context of the whole letter, but really he's warning them that difficult times were coming. And he was telling them that they would be entering into the fellowship of the sufferings of Messiah, just like he was, because he was writing to them from prison. And he's basically telling them to, you know, make sure that you have all your ducks in the row and that you're walking in the Lord and that you're 
walking in faithfulness and that you're having good relationship with one another. And then he says uh, in verse 4 of chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. In other words, don't panic. You know, rejoice in the Lord regardless of circumstances. Let your gentle spirit be known to all people. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer, with supplication. And supplication means like your prayer requests. So we could say, uh, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by praise, prayer, and thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, like you can't exactly describe it, will guard your hearts and your minds in Messiah Yeshua. So he says, rejoice and pray and realize that God hears your prayers and that you can leave it at the feet of God, at the feet of Yeshua, and that you can find comfort uh, in knowing that God really does hear your prayer. And so you don't have to worry and you don't have to be anxious. Bring it to God because his presence really is near you, really is close to you. And I, and I hope and pray that that's the case for all of us, that you have cultivated a faith that really trusts God in a time of prayer. And if you're having trouble with that, pray anyway. Pray anyway. And trust uh, that God will do a work in your heart, transforming you as you pray. And, you know, let me pause here and say that this is a great time for us when we're, we might think of ourselves as stuck at home, but think of it as an opportunity to be at home, an opportunity to sort of reboot. You know, uh, I was with my daughter last weekend, and that's what she said, that she felt that this was like a time of recalibrating, a time of stopping and then restarting, you know, slowing down for a while. And do that, but use your time wisely. Pray, just talk to God, that's what it is. You don't have to use King James English or Hebrew or anything. And may I suggest the Lord's Prayer, what we commonly refer to as the Lord's Prayer. What a great prayer to pray uh, and know indeed that God is listening. He is the King and He is indeed seated on the, seated on the throne. So pray. And as you do so, and as you read the Bible, you will see that he will do a work in your heart. And you know, we can decide how we want to position ourselves during this time. And you know, as I look on uh, Facebook especially, some people um, decide, well, I think I'll be really negative. And I think I will uh, just talk about politics and my rights or things like that. Or I will share things uh, that, uh, you know, someone else has shared that might or might not be true. I don't know. Uh, or things like that. But I hope that that's not the case with us. I hope that we'll take this time and see it as time that God has given to me, not only for him to minister to me, but also for me to think well, to think on things that are encouraging. And that's the next thing that Paul says here. He says in verse eight, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, whatever is good, <laughs> if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. 
not just spew them out or something, dwell on them. Think about edifying good things. Think about ways that God perhaps has met your needs uh, before. Uh, read the scriptures. Uh, think about verses in the Bible that have really meant a lot to you or good experiences in your life, things you're thankful for uh, in your life. Uh, and this really is uh, so important for us. And so that's what he says. Think on these things. And I would encourage us that, uh, you know, there's a lot of power in the social media. And so as I said, if you're a person that likes to post on social media, think of these kinds of things. Post edifying things, things that will really be helpful to you and to other people. Be a blessing, you know? As we would say in Yiddish, be a mensch, you know? Be good. Uh, uh, write things that are really edifying and that will help others to get through this time. Or do something that's really, um, uh, now this is really a crazy, crazy thing to say, right? Uh, really radical. Call somebody on the phone, right? Call somebody up. Maybe use our Beth Messiah directory and call someone and say, I was just thinking about you today. You know, I've never really had a long conversation with you before, but I was thinking about you and I prayed for you today and, and I just want to be an encouragement. And so may we think on good things to be encouraged and may we also say good things to others in order to, to be an encouragement. Then Paul gives a very interesting word of personal testimony about how he gets through difficult times in addition to rejoicing and praying and thinking well. <clears throat> and it's in the same passage, a little bit farther down. You know that Paul was in uh, prison and he felt very lonely when he was in prison. And he shares this in a variety of uh, letters about how very few people really cared for him, but some people really came through. And he says this, if you take your time and read the end of Philippians, he says this. But I just wanted to point out uh, one thing he says here. He says in verse 10, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content. In whatever circumstances I am. You know, I'm going to read that again. <laughs> Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so how important it is for us to understand Paul's secret. He says, I learned the secret of being content in all circumstances. And so in order to rejoice in all circumstances, in order to pray and really be focused on the Lord, as it says in the book of Hebrews, let your eyes be fixed on Yeshua. In order to really uh, see this as a time, uh, almost like a holy time of repentance and, and of uh, praying for others, in order to really do that and not get distracted by the circumstances, in order to really walk strong in the Lord, we need to be able to be content in our circumstances. 
And perhaps this is a great lesson that God is giving us, that we don't like to be confined or we don't like it if we are told we can't do something, whether we agree with it or not. But may I suggest and challenge us that rather than complaining about it, let's see it as perhaps coming from the Lord. And maybe he wants to change us so that we would not feel so presumptuous and deserving of everything that we have. But perhaps it might humble us, you know, and cause us to refocus and to come to him with a broken and contrite heart, learning that, you know, I can live without uh, the creature comforts of life and I can still love God. And that is how we stay above the fray. That is how we overcome our circumstances. So getting back to this, what is his secret? When he says, I've learned the secret, what's the secret, Paul? Well, I would suggest that the secret is found in another place where he gives another personal testimony, and that is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's speaking very personal, and he talks about how uh, he has this thorn in the side. Uh, and, uh, and, and he prays that God would remove it. And so this is what he says. He says, Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me, this thing that he had, this discomfort, whatever it was. He prayed that it would go away. And he said to me, and here's the secret I suggest to us. This is the secret God told him in that difficult circumstance. My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. In other words, the secret is, is when I am weak, that's when I can be strong. Uh, the secret is, well, as he goes on to say here, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Messiah may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults and distresses and persecutions and difficulties for Messiah's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so if you feel weak now, it's okay. This is where we trust God. See, this is how Paul was able to say, uh, to live as Messiah and to die as gain. Or, I have been crucified with Messiah, and it is no longer I who live, but Messiah lives in me. Or, my life is hidden in Messiah. I am seated with him in heavenly places. This is how he was able to cultivate this primary identity in the Lord, and to know that no matter what happens, that there is a continuity in knowing God. And so, my friends, there is a continuity in knowing God. God has not changed in the last week or two weeks. He is still the same. When you have come here and we've had a great service with the music and, and Marcy uh, chanting the Torah and a wonderful onag and, and all of that and all the schmoozing that we do together, uh, compared to today, God is indeed the same. And that is the challenge. And I hope that as our faith is indeed being stretched at this time, 
and certainly for just about all of us, it is, uh, that we might see this as an opportunity. Because you know what? I think that we're going to come out of this better. I think that we're going to come out of this as better individuals, better Messiah followers, and a better community. Because we're going to take the initiative of reaching out to one another, of not sort of just sitting back and be fed, but we're going to do some of the feeding. And so I would just encourage you, as I wrote in the Darash, and that we'll be talking a little bit about in uh, uh, at noon in our Torah study, uh, that there are so many of those one another passages, you know, that uh, that we can now... Uh, uh, use and, and and to make a difference in our own lives and others, to serve one another, to love one another, to realize that we belong to one another, that we bear one another's burdens, that we pray uh, for one another, and at times admonish uh, one another. And so uh, I pray that we would indeed uh, live that way. And as Henry wrote last Monday, uh, you know, that Paul says, but there's a better way. And it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the, the love passage, you know, uh, uh, about loving one another uh, and, and everything uh, related, uh, you know, uh, to, that, uh, to that passage. You know, in, that is in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not seek its own, is not provoked doesn't take into account a wrong suffered, doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. And so I hope that that's the kind of faith that or faithfulness that we are inculcating now. You know, there's a word in the Greek uh, uh, called koinonia, uh, which is the word for fellowship, which means to, to share with. And so we share in the Ruach together, whether you're at your house or I'm at my house or here at Beth Messiah. And so may we be living this out. May we uh, bring it all to God in prayer. May we be able to rejoice. May we seek uh, God out, wrestle with God if necessary, like Asaph and Habakkuk. If we're saying, how long, O Lord, may it be our goal to come away with a changed heart May we be like David when he was chased by Saul uh, and being able to give God thanks and praise, knowing that God does indeed uh, uh, protect us. And so I hope that this will be all of us.